I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. The Ref. We are taking a brief time out from the James Cameron season to bring you an obscure Christmas movie from 1994 that nobody has seen, but you might like to hear about. Next week's Titanic episode is an absolute monster. We're also very proud of it. It's one of the best things we've done. And after that, at year's end, we have Avatar, followed by Spider-Man Far From Home, and our shows on The Matrix Resurrections, followed by re-evaluations of Reloaded and Revolutions. It feels like our perspective on those will have changed after having seen the fourth one. And then our early 2022 commission season begins. But here for you now is a movie all about family at Christmas and how they can drive us absolutely bug nuts. See these two people? I hate these people. How can we both be in the marriage and I'm miserable and you're content? Luck. It was Christmas Eve in Connecticut. I was minding my own business, breaking into this rich guy's house when... Ah! I ran into this dog. Partner Murray was waiting for me outside. Murray's an idiot. Murray. This is Santa Claus. Not the real Santa Claus. Just some drunk guy pretending to be Santa Claus. <laughs> Anyways, the cops came. I took those two people hostage in that house that I hate. And guess what? Their relatives showed up. Why? Because it's Christmas Eve, remember? Remember how much I said I hated those two people? <laughs> That's nothing compared to how I feel about the rest of their family. TV's broke. What are we gonna do all night? Celebrate the birth of Christ. I hate this guy, his wife, these kids, and this lady. I think this is sick. Oh, you wanna have sex with him? What? <sighs> it was a nightmare. It was just uh Shut up! Did these cops and candles and kids and booze and fruitcake and Santa Claus and sex and drugs and, and and women being set on fire. Fascinating. It was such a nightmare that now I hate Christmas. I used to love Christmas, you know. Food and, and reindeer and, and ties and, and bags of fluffy new socks. Now I even hate socks. The Ref, a.k.a. Hostile Hostages, which is what it was called in the UK, briefly, for a very fleeting, rental-only video release. Mm -hmm. I actually managed to pick this up for the first time uh, ever as um, it was a, I was working at Blockbusters and they stuck this on the uh, shelf of just look no one's renting this so buy it mm-hmm. and I was like oh I'll have that I like have Dennis Leary have seen this before when you showed it to me? no I don't think I have I showed it to you for the first time yeah. it's also called Hostages from Hell according to the uh, DV, the, the digital rental I have literally never heard it called I've that. never heard it called that either and all three of these names are worse than the one I made up which is Hostile Holiday Hostages. Because that way you kind of, you get in the Christmas side of things as well, which is rather important. I do wonder if Hostages from Hell is a Google Translate back again kind Mm. of foreign title. But I mean, if you just call it Hostile Hostages, that's a Steven Seagal movie. You know, in the 90s? Yeah. Yeah, Michael Caine's the villain, maybe. (laughs) And... uh, Sitting down. Yeah. (laughs) 
No, this was the time when Michael Caine would get up and walk around for okay. his roles. Let's all thank Michael for standing up. He is the star of the greatest Christmas film ever made, so we'll thank Michael forevermore. That's very true, actually, yeah. He gets a pass. He actually is a Steven Seagal villain in On Deadly Ground. Oh, is he? Brilliant. Yeah, we've got to see that thing. Um, except for that Steven Seagal's a human toilet. Um... A better indicator, like I said, of what you, you have in store is add the word holiday and then you're like, oh, I see, so it's like a Christmas thing. Um, nobody has seen this movie, but for the longest time it was a Christmas staple for us. It's a Bruckheimer film. It was during Jerry Bruckheimer's sort of... Uh, I think Don Simpson was also a co-producer on this because it was uh, before, uh, prior to his death. Don passed away in January of 1996, so not even two years after this was released. The Rock was one of the last films, Don Simpson, which we're doing next year, uh, uh, Don Simpson co-produced with Bruckheimer. So Bruckheimer didn't just do high-octane action movies like uh, Days of Thunder and Con Air, he also did The Ref. But yeah, this, this was, for the longest time, a Christmas staple for us. More so even than Die Hard, though it is not better than Die Hard. It is... A soothing panacea for those who find family almost unbearable over the holidays. Even if you love them, sometimes they can be a bit much. Uh, it stars Kevin Spacey, which is Kevin why we've spent so long gearing up for this one. Like every year, it was like, should we do the ref? No, no one's heard of it. Should we do that? Like, has, is it on Netflix? Has it been rediscovered? Oh no, Kevin Spacey fucking sucks. And then we just stopped even thinking about it. But we decided this year that if we restrict ourselves to only films where nobody in them is an abuser, that restricts our pool of films that we can talk about greatly. And that is a sad, sad reflection on Hollywood. One would hope, as time goes on and the uh, movie industry changes fairly significantly, that these instances thanks to the Me Too movement, will actually diminish. So we'll be able to pick from more films as fewer troublesome actors are centerpieces for these things. They're not just actors, producers, directors, stunt coordinators. They can come from anywhere, and mostly they're dudes. But we can understand why uh, you may not want to see this movie with Kevin Spacey in it, or even hear about it at all, based on that one particular casting decision. Um, but it's definitely affected our enjoyment of the film. We couldn't really watch it with a sense of purity anymore today. Like there was always, it's been tarnished, as has everything he's ever been in, which is a damn shame. Because as far as I can tell, I don't think I've ever seen him turn in anything less than a stellar performance. He's like the Stanley Tucci, uh, except that Stanley Tucci is, as far as I can tell, a great guy. Mm. Well, his acting talent is not necessarily a reflection on his. Uh, behaviour in his personal life, except that being a really good actor would help him lie about it for a long time. Yeah, maybe. It's depressing to even think about. I but uh, His co-star, however, is Judy Davis, who is a little-seen, wildly charismatic actress with fiery delivery. She was in the Coen Brothers film, which we just saw the other day, for the first time for me in like 20 years, Barton Fink. And she was in the Woody Allen film, another human piece of shit, uh, the Woody Allen film Deconstructing Harry. She's there at the beginning, and I think it's it's worth seeing this. If even if you can just, if you just get past Kevin Spacey to see Judy Davis in probably her best, most focused on starring role. 
The two of them play Lloyd and Caroline Chasseur, which is 18th century French Huguenot as a name. Um, as the characters are fond of telling everybody. <laughs> I'd say Lloyd rather yeah. than uh, Caroline. Jesse, yeah, Jesse, their son, does it as well, but he does it in a way that suggests he's heard his dad do it often enough that mm. he feels the need to do it too. That's Chasseur. They are a married couple at the end of their rope who have now fallen to bitter yet entertaining to us perpetual arguments about the various aspects of their crumbling marriage that they blame one another for. Now, this might not be your cup of tea if you don't like watching arguments. I, for example, sat through Marriage Story, which is by all accounts a magnificent film, and I hated almost all of it. But that's obviously not a comedy. This, the aim is to not get so bitter that it's just unpleasant to watch. But there were a few low reviews on Amazon saying I couldn't get through all the arguing, even though it wears the arguing on its sleeve. It doesn't hide that fact. It's all over the poster. and You know, they're called hostages from hell. It's but not false advertising. Indeed. But some people have very particular triggers about family conflict and things like that. I like have particular stuff. triggers about family oh, conflict. Oh, I know. I know. I think watching this actually allows me to cope with it more. Yeah. All right, this next exercise will help you both with listening. One of you will speak while the other really just listens. Would someone like to go first? Me. I had this crazy dream. Do we have to do dreams? I was at this fancy restaurant having lunch, and the waiter bought me my entree. It was a salad. It was Lloyd's head on a plate of spinach with his penis sticking out of his ear. And I said, I didn't order this. And the waiter said, you must try it. It's a delicacy. But don't eat the penis. It's just Garnish. Mm. Lloyd, what do you think about the dream? I think she should stop telling it at dinner parties to all our friends. I mean, dreams should be private, don't you think? I'm not here to judge or to take sides. I will say, communication is healthy. Uh-huh. Healthy? Telling people she dreams of me being castrated florentined is healthy? Are there any sexual problems in the marriage? <sighs> we haven't had sex in, in quite a while. <clears throat> And before that, it wasn't all that, um, oh, what's the word? Noteworthy. Mm-hmm. By our 12th anniversary, we'd gotten into a pretty stale routine. A couple of kisses, a couple of nipple twists. It'd all be over in about the same time it takes to make a cappuccino, I know, because I timed it once. I mean, it's no wonder I had an affair. <clears throat> How could you tell him all that so casually, like you were asking for a glass of water? May I have a glass of water? Why don't you have oral sex, too? I'll go wait in the car. Ow! Lloyd, how do you feel about Caroline's affair? He just wants me to wear a red A on my chest and sleep in the basement. Is that so unreasonable? Everything's either black or white with him. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't see where he's responsible. And I mean, it, it just didn't mean anything to me. It shouldn't even be counted as an affair. I think we need a ruling on this. But you particularly are a fan of let's get all this stuff out and actually talk about it. As which... opposed to to keeping it all inside. Exactly, yeah, no. Yeah. If, if you like seeing people get everything poured out, that is the end point of this film. That's the victory point of this film, yeah. where they finally... It doesn't necessarily solve all their problems, but they stop just sniping at each other and just pour it out. 
which is it's that's our kind of drama like if we're going to watch a drama it's going to be one that's tempestuous you know but also it really helps if it's funny yes and the scripting on this is quite hilarious it is really tight as a script Mm. bd wong appears just at the beginning as their counselor and he is unable to corral them but this christmas eve they cross paths with gus who is a cat burglar played by 90s comedian Dennis Leary, who has been in a bunch of stuff since this and actually kind of flexed his muscles as a uh, dramatic actor. I think he was in Rescue Me on TV as well. Um, And he's on the run after a botched burglary, and his plan is to hide out at Lloyd and Caroline's house while the police search the snowy local area for him. And they're inept, bumbling cops. It's very small town. But at the same time, he doesn't want to go to jail and he feels like uh, the slightest mistake and he's going to get rumbled. So uh, Dennis Leary is on edge this entire movie and ready to blow. To throw gasoline on the fire, Lloyd's ineffectual brother Gary and his waspish wife Connie, played by the wonderful Christine Borinsky, come round for their annual festive family visit, dragging their two miserable, reluctant children along. And worst of all, Lloyd's vampiric mother, played by the usually luminous Glynis Johns, the suffragette mum in Mary Poppins. Here, though, she is the source of utter infuriation for pretty much everyone. And Gus, gun at the ready, now masquerading as their marriage counsellor, Dr. Wong. Merry Christmas. Who is this? This is the uh, doctor we were telling you about, Dr. Wong. Wong? You're a Wong? Well, my mother was Irish. And your father? Wasn't. Struggles to keep everyone on their best behaviour as tensions run to exploding point. The the first thing that happens, really, after the fairly vicious... I mean, I want to say it's like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Opening sequence? Um, yeah. Yeah, I can see the comparison there. The, the, um, The idea of people just ultimately ripping into each other. Mm. Because it starts straight off the bat. Yeah. And we'll talk about their issues with each other in just a bit. But to begin, one of the first things we see is Gus trying to rob one of the extremely rich people's houses. I think it's actually quite a a subtle dig in this movie uh, that, that they've moved to this area of very affluent people and they are out of their depth. It's not really spoken that much, but like they're surrounded by pretty much mansions mm. and the the burglar trap in this mansion is like something fucking kevin McAllister would have put together it first of all like he opens the safe it makes this comedy cat noise and it sprays his face with cat piss and then a trap door opens underneath him when he tries to pull out a bait a uh, diamond ring in a, in a box attached to a wire which triggers the trapdoor and drops him into the basement onto the pool table wherein there is a Rottweiler named Cannibal that eats pool balls for fun and uh, because he stinks of cat piss this dog is really onto him. So, But it's a smart move as well because it means that the police dogs will be able to sniff him out as well. Mm. It's, it's like uh, one of those breakfast machines... <laughs> and then dump you directly into a dog's mouth Mm, indeed well in terms of sort of it being the area that that doesn't is not really them 
this is where Lloyd grew up. Lloyd yeah, and his yeah. brother Gary. grew up in this area because they're they're still friends with a couple of the cops that work here. Let's face However, it, Gary's still friends with a yeah, couple of the cops that indeed. work here. Lloyd feel, seems to think himself above them. Absolutely. But when they talk about the house, Caroline mentions that Lloyd's mother owns the house, but she doesn't refer to it being the house that Lloyd grew up in. Mm-hmm. So my guess is they lived elsewhere, but because they were quite wealthy, they ended up buying other property in this town. Mm. And so this the, the, his mother is renting this house to them. But they, at some point when they were much younger, got the hell out of Dodge, went to New York. And tried to make it like young to, people do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it may even be, he talked, Lloyd talked, talks about Caroline having college friends in New York, so it's possible he went to New York mm. and then met Caroline mm. in New York. We can get into to, to, to what they've gone through uh, in the past. They tried to open a restaurant, and uh, Lloyd got a really bad review from the Restaurant Digest of New York, which was very cutting and scathing. Mm. And he pretty much packed it in, gave up. And this was, this was a restaurant opened on money borrowed from Rose, his mother. It would appear that Lloyd was not failing fast tactically. He was just giving up. Mm -hmm. And it certainly feels like Caroline has interpreted this as Lloyd giving up and crawling back to his mother to say, Mom, give me a job. And she gives him a job running an antique store in this town that he grew up in. And they're kind of in this limbo where they want to leave, but they can't. They're indebted to his mother. They're living in a house. She's charging them rent. Mm. Lots of rent from the sounds of it. Well, I I honestly... There's a fucking six-foot portrait of her in the living room Mm. just glaring at them so that they can't possibly ever forget that they owe her big time. I feel like she's probably charging them less than market rent for the house because if they could afford to pay someone else, don't you think they would? I feel like she's competitive because she met mutters later on. We'll have to see what interest rates do next year. Well, <laughs> like, that's the that yeah. means she's adjusting her rent. Absolutely. Well, no, that's the interest rate on the loan that they're still. This is the thing, right? Oh. Okay. When they talk about the restaurant, they talk about they had the to fact, close the restaurant. They had to close the restaurant. When they talk about the restaurant, um, Caroline was trying to look after. Jesse, who at the time was a baby. So this would have been like... 16. Yeah, a long time ago. 15 years ago, Mm. A, they tried to combine a brand new business with a brand new baby. Super fucking stressful. That is incredibly stressful. Also, a restaurant in New York, that is one of the most dangerous, like not dangerous, just... It's re- like you are up against it starting from scratch. Absolutely. Most restaurants fail through undercapitalization. Unless you have a constant flow of money coming in, you Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Like, and your rent's not going to be cheap on yeah. premises in New York. Ultimately, uh, if you if you watch the excellent film about uh, cooking uh, chef with uh, John Favreau, uh, you're probably better off just getting a food truck and scampering around the place <laughs> and finding it. Like, because then you can change venue and you can change where you are. And True, but not in New York because you would instantly get stuck in traffic. You can't yeah. run away from anybody. But that's what I mean. Like, if you're in New York, you're paying us obscene yeah. real estate. Let's get like we hate movies and start talking about New York real estate. Indeed. But my point is that. Rose loaned them the money to start this restaurant. That was 15 years ago. And she they're is still paying still her off. charging them 
interest yeah. on this damn thing. Yeah. So the the fact that they're living in this house that she owns, they are paying her rent. It's furnished with antiques from, from the store, store yeah. she owns. They've got pictures of her all over the wall. They cannot get away from her. I am not surprised that Caroline is suffocating in this yeah. house. Uh, ultimately, it would appear Caroline blames Lloyd for never really standing up to his mother. Mm. And Lloyd is embittered at Caroline. Caroline, what do you want for the marriage? Oh, this should be good. Oh, what does that mean? Because you don't know what you want. You blame everybody else for it. She's impossible to satisfy. She lives in her fantasies. I mean, let's really try to understand Caroline's miserable life. She lives in a beautiful home. Which his mother owns. I have a successful business. Which his mother owns. We're in servitude to his mother for a loan she's charging us 18% interest on. We personally own nothing. We took out a loan. We have to no, pay no, it No, 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 no. You took out a loan. I mean, it was your decision, not mine. You took out a loan from Satan, Mom. She blames my mother for everything that's gone wrong in her life. In the meantime, she never finishes anything she starts. Photography courses. Existential philosophy. Philosophy courses, Scandinavian cooking classes. At least I go after my dreams. To be what? Somebody who takes photographs of Lutfish to prove the nothingness of being? No wonder our son's so confused. Oh, see? He blames me for Jesse, is that right? I'm not here to judge or to take sides. Oh, what the hell good are you? You're the one who suffocated him with limitations. Our son's a very sensitive, creative Juvenile boy. Juvenile delinquent. Boy, he has the kind of imagination that the he... mafia gives scholarships for. Oh, In the God. ninth grade, we told him he could get a part-time job. You ready for what he did? He started an escort service for the football team, and he gave out my mother's phone number. And I still say getting laid by an 18-year-old linebacker is just what she needs. Please, let's lower our voices. Fuck you! She's trying to keep herself sane while they exist in this purgatory. It's comfortable, but it's just under the glare of this vamp, like I say, this this blood-sucking mother figure Absolutely. from hell. And and Lloyd, the during the marriage counselling session at the beginning, Caroline is talking about how miserable and unhappy she is, and Lloyd says he doesn't want for anything. He's actually a very content person. But I think, I feel like the epitome of what this relationship and this film is about is the adage man cannot live by bread alone mm. because i i feel it's again it's not stated outright but i feel like the reason that lloyd goes back to his mum and asks her for more help because let's not forget at this point where they're sat in the apartment at new york having had to close the restaurant they already owe her a shit ton of money that they borrowed for the restaurant and the he is in the position of feeling like I don't want my wife and child to starve. So I, I completely understand why he would feel that he needed to take that out in that moment. They have spent the last 15 years trying to crawl out from that decision. Or at least Caroline has. Lloyd appears to have simply resigned himself to it. And this is how he's going to live his life until Rose dies. Mm. So, I mean, the tension, at least for Act 1 of the movie, is that uh, Gus is holding them at gunpoint. And uh, it starts off with them both frightened of him, but then they start bickering with each other. And eventually Gus is, well, in his own words, he's like, great, I hijack my fucking parents. It's, uh, he's stuck in between these two and he can't control them or, or, or corral them. He ties them to chairs, he ties them to the bed. They use him as a third party to field their, 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 their grief about each other. But even that is ultimately, it's they're trying to reach something. Mm -hmm. They're not just out to bitch at each other. Yeah. And 
she's suggesting just separation. Just that way she can go off and, in her uh, words, be a truck stop waitress with pineapple earrings. Lloyd doesn't want a divorce or separation. He just wants to keep doing this and keep working at it. But he also, from the beginning, seems to be like, I don't want to talk about it. No more of this communication. Mm. Where, whereas Mr. Dr. Wong, the real Dr. Wong, is saying communication is healthy, which is accurate. Mm. But And they communicate with each other very truthfully in very hurtful ways. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they, they are both trying to reach... A, a point where they are actually connecting with each other again. They've mm. gone to this marriage counsellor, so clearly on some level they want to try and sort things out, even though, like you say, Lloyd keeps saying he just wants to stop talking about things. In which case, Lloyd, why are you here? Uh, unless this is like their first session, although the way the doctor talks to them, it feels like they've been there before. But further down the film, when when Dennis Leary is pretending to be their marriage counsellor, they both, Lloyd in particular at one stage, are starting to treat him like he actually is. Mm. Lloyd says something to him about, I thought you were supposed to be neutral or you're, you not, supposed to you're take not supposed sides. to take sides he's a burglar Lloyd <laughs> he can take whatever sides he wants he's not actually your marriage counsellor and he hates your mum with good reason absolutely but the the impression that I get from both of them is that the reason that Lloyd doesn't want to talk about all this is because he is afraid that the end of the conversation will be that Caroline leaves him Yeah. and he really doesn't seem to want that in part because he does genuinely seem to care about her and there is, there is something Thing in her or in the, the connection between them that brings some life to this, this poor sod who is somewhat beaten down and, and deadened by his mother. Mm. And on and also, clearly, because my, my first thought when we first saw this for the first time, when he was absolutely adamantly refusing to get a divorce, was, oh, it's like this is shame on the family if she leaves. But Rose wants them to get a divorce. So it's not as if he's trying to prevent that in order to preserve some kind of family tradition. I think she's the only thing in his life that actually separates him from Rose. Exactly, yeah. Uh, she's She's been the, a, a constant companion to him, even though they have not gotten on at all. It, ultimately, if you take her away, he is in the direct glare of this Absolutely. burning eye of yeah. Sauron. His job belongs to his mother. His house belongs to his mother. Every penny he earns seems to belong to his mother. The only person, you're absolutely right, who does not belong to Rose is Caroline. And I had to have surgery. Plastic surgery. Also, there's a, a subplot in the film where the owner of the mansion that Gus burgled at the beginning keeps leaning on the chief of police to take more pronounced action. Like, they're already searching the town, but it's still not good enough. And, you know, he threatens to talk to the mayor, who's an old golfing buddy of him. The actor is the guy who played the colonel in Boogie Nights. And I suppose the payoff comes at this point. I received a call from Will Warren, the county prosecutor, happens to be a very close friend of mine. You'll be glad to know that in spite of your bungling, he's confident they'll find our thief in those house-to-house searches during curfew. Another thing, he said, uh, <clears throat> your men are to assist and report to me as per his instructions. You can call if you'd like. Um, let's see, one other thing. Oh, yes, your Christmas wish came true. <laughs> you're, you're to be out of here the day after Christmas. Isn't that a lovely Noel? It's been swell. Bob. Yes. 
I nailed your wife. What? After the town meeting last August, you were in Rhode Island on business. Three times, Bob. She said you never went three times, Bob. And Bob's eye starts twitching. I guess this allows us to feel not the least bit sorry for the stupendously rich, arrogant pricks that Gus seems to tend to target. But it also illustrates how the wealthy are able to circumvent laws and act like the rules don't apply to them because they have the connections and they have the wealth. Then again, so do the cops. But the the dinner itself is, is is particularly like just as soon as Berinsky uh, sort of enters, she's got this kind of oh it's Carney kind of like just blasé sort of eye rolling way of saying everything. She's sarcastic, but in a kind of a passive aggressive way. Well, that's the thing. She no more than anybody else wants to be. She does not want to be there. Yeah. But she and she clearly hates Rose as well. Absolutely. Her mother-in-law. But she is better than anyone else at putting on the. The fake face. Oh, thanks, Mother Rose. Slipper socks. And, yeah, it's... it's um, The reason I... Th- my family are not like this, but there's that feeling of, oh, God, I don't want to be here, which I can really... I, I feel like that's something that a lot of us get, especially... It's not so much the actual scenarios we're stuck in as a combination of every stress we've experienced in the past that kind of rises up in our gullet and attaches itself to this weight of obligation that just drags us down. So, you know, in the end, sometimes the holidays can just turn to this series of things you have to do rather than any kind of semblance of relaxation. Mm. Yeah. Or doing things that you want to do. Yeah. For me, it was when I was, particularly when I was younger, but even like in recent years, the main thing is I get bored. Yeah. I get bored. And if I'm in a room full of, of things going on that are not engaging me, I just want to chew my own arm off. Yeah. And I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to reiterate it. Some parents have to put on all kinds of show to make Christmas happen, especially you know, for years and years it was mums who were sort of saddled with, you cook Christmas dinner, you get all this organised, you do all the shopping, dad's at work, you're in charge of all of this, and mum works her balls off for Christmas. And all of these fucking movies that are like, here is the basic premise. Santa Claus exists. Santa Claus brings Christmas to you. And oh no, there's a kid who might not get a present. Or even worse, a kid who started to not believe in Santa Claus. Fuck me in the face. What are we going to do about this? The amount of incredible hard work that goes into Christmas through every fucking family. All of that stress. And it gets credited to someone who doesn't fucking exist. Sorry. That's why I like this kind of movie. <laughs> I think, honestly, when I was growing up, I think my parents had it just about right. There was a, a really good division of labour. Mum did breakfast, Dad did lunch, nobody ate anything for tea unless it was cold leftovers from lunch, and then we just chilled out in front of whatever movies were on the TV. Mm. And I read whatever books I had inevitably got for Christmas. Mm. I mean, I suppose you could divide Christmas movies into one of two 
types. One that operates in the real world where adults know that Santa Claus is not real. And one that operates in the fantasy world where adults are all complicit in the fact that Santa Claus actually does exist. But they always contradict themselves because certain adults don't know that Santa exists. Yeah. Honestly, this is one of the reasons why it has not held up to the test of time. I will admit this right now. Santa Claus the movie. But one of the reasons I really like Santa Claus the movie ah! is because it goes capitalism, Santa, smush. Capitalism is Santa! I know! Capitalism is, you must do Christmas yeah. right. Everyone's depending on you, buy this. This isn't enough, buy more. But that's the thing, it's, it, what that film presupposes is, look at these two things together, they are not the same thing. What the Santa in that is trying to encourage is, mm. goodwill to your fellow man, Let's everybody be nice to each other and be happy with the candy cane. Gee, this sounds weirdly familiar that Santa's just saying, be kind to your fellow man, but everyone's obsessed with all the capitalist shit he's doing, and what about me? Indeed. And now I want a movie about Jesus stomping up and down going, guys, this is not what I wanted for my birthday, come on! <laughs> anyway, didn't expect that. Everyone, grab a glass, you too, grab a glass. Come on, come on, grab a glass. It's everyone. Come on. Santa doesn't drink champagne. Santa drinks milk. Look, Santa can't drink any more milk tonight. Santa has a lactose intolerance. It gives him horrible gas pains. You want to see Santa farting down everyone's chimney? <laughs> Merry Christmas. What we're having is a traditional Scandinavian Christmas feast. We have roast suckling pig, fresh baked kringlores with a honey pecan dipping sauce, seven-day-old lutefish, and lamb gookins. What you're wearing on your heads are called Lucia reeds. They're worn in honor of Saint Lucia, a brave and noble woman I admire very much. A woman whose beliefs were so strong, they rendered her inflammable. As the story goes, Lucia was engaged to be married. And instead of giving her dowry to her in-laws, she gave it to the poor people of the village. Her husband-to-be, thinking she was out of her mind, <laughs> betrayed her to the Romans as a Christian. And they condemned her to burn at the stake. But although she was surrounded by flames, she would not burn. And they had to stab her with a sword. My God, is this a Christmas story? Who cares? My forehead is blistering. I think it's cool, Aunt Caroline. Thank you. <laughs> okay, dig in, everybody. Don't be shy. Everything looks great, honey. Thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> From what school are you trained, Dr. Wong? Freud? Ah, uh, no, I'm going for that dream stuff. Really? You must have met a great many strange and disturbed people, Dr. Wong. My line of work to you. You meet some real wackos. You call your patients wackos? Yeah, they, uh, they like it. Well, it seems that this therapy is working. I've never seen these two so agreeable together. What the hell am I eating? Oh, that's a parson of Kringlor. They date back to the fourth century. 
that's what it looks like. Everyone's wearing these giant head wreaths of burning candles that are dripping saint wax Lucia, all over them. Saint was also one of my favourite saints as a kid, I might add. A real saint? She's a real saint. They, they, her faith rendered her inflammable. Inflammable. No, non-flammable. Her faith her... rendered her flammable. I... Inflammable? Technically speaking, does that not make her a witch? Yeah. They tried to burn her and couldn't? Yeah, so they had to stab her with a sword. Yeah, she did not weigh the same as a duck. Um, I like the fact, by the way, that um, Christine Berinsky's uh, Connie is mean to her own kids. Shut up! Don't make me nuts today! And she's like she slapping them around. her son! And her poor kid, like, son's like, oh... I just, yeah, I, I hope they fight again. Their fight's a bitchin'. Like, this, th these kids want some entertainment for Christmas. They were just... Especially since they've been told the TV is broken and they can't watch yeah. it. This kid, the boy, gets Super Nintendo. Did you see that? No. His big present from his parents is Super Nintendo. It's like, you know what, guys? Let's just stop arguing and play Super Mario Kart. It was available at that point. <laughs> And I'm willing to bet it only came with one controller. Oh, the TV's suddenly working now. We can't watch the news, but we can play Mario Kart, for goodness sake. And, you know, that, that's a good Christmas. But either way, she's mean to these kids the whole time. And eventually, um, well, for a start, Gus starts to really take exception with her because she's being so pushy. Mm. And there's, a, there's two particular moments. I was pregnant with Jesse then. We lived in the most wonderful one-bedroom apartment. You see, Lloyd had never took any money from his family then. I found that so attractive. And then what happened? Don't encourage her, Mary. No one wants to listen to her misery. Lloyd was working as an assistant banquet manager at the Sheraton. <laughs> We'd make love in the mornings because he was, you know... Caroline, why don't you eat something? Lloyd, why don't you eat me? Kids, go Ooh. into the den. This See, is not a conversation for shit. children. It's not a conversation for adults either. Died. Where are you going? And the living room. She to leave you to your quilting. Bribe Lloyd. Uh, back I'll be there to open presents. If my plans change, See, I'll contact I hate Connecticut. I grew up in Canada. Well, why don't we all go into the living room and then we can uh, have our coffee and uh, dessert in there. You and then we can bastard. Caroline, shut up. Let's all go to the Sit bathroom. Down, it's Sit. Excuse me, but I am not one of your patients. You're going to be somebody's patient if you don't get your ass back down into that chair. Wow. Ow. I swear to God, you hit that kid one more time and I'm going to stick that pig's head right up your ass. Which makes me feel like... His parents were horrible, so he is trying to set things right for this kid who keeps getting slapped well, around. We already know his parents argued a lot because of his line about, oh no, I hijacked my fucking parents. parents. Yeah, and the other one is... Gary, are you going to let him talk to me like that? Well, hun, he is a doctor. Caroline Lloyd and I will go into the kitchen and get the coffee and dessert, and then we're going to open the presents. We can't open presents until midnight. Why not? Because it's not Christmas until midnight. But guess what? We're changing the rules a little bit, okay? We're gonna open the presents now, not later. Now. Why? Because we're adults and we can open the presents whenever we want. You know what? Let's break all of those traditions that you're obsessed with that have to be timed down to the minute. Oh. 
I, I, you know, I love loose tradition. I love it where it's like, yeah, we'll do this. We'll have some gingerbread. We'll drink some nog. You know, just go to sleep whenever we want. Just, you know, put the fire on. This is great. This is easy. I hate the regimented strictures of you must do all of these things for Christmas. You must follow the ritual. It's Teutonic. Mm. You know what? Christmas Day is going to happen, whether you have crackers or not. Yeah. Yeah. And so people fret about what they don't have for Christmas. What they ha- what they felt like there's that woman who's going fucking ballistic in the uh, grocery store because they don't have fully mixed eggnog and the lady's like, "Look, you can just get yourself some nutmeg, some eggs and uh, some avocado and just, you know, go home and make your own eggnog." And she's like, "I don't know how to make eggnog." And she's just freaking out because she doesn't have this thing. Have a bottle of avocado and a straw. Now go away and leave me alone. <laughs> okay. Take this avocado, go suck an egg and go fuck yourself. <laughs> Anyway, only nine sweet noggy days left, folks. <laughs> I'm going to go make my own eggnog with bourbon and ice cubes. <laughs> and blackjack and hookers. Ah, anyway, this is what you don't often hear from us at the Christmas season. Indeed. So um, the other person we've only sort of va- vaguely mentioned is Jesse, their kid who's going to a military academy and is blackmailing his uh, commanding officer, played by a young-ish J.K. Simmons. He almost had hair. Yeah. And uh, he's uh, got photos of him, which he refers to as being like Maplethorpe. I I think that means that his uh, CO was uh, engaged in some uh, um, frivolities with naked men, which, you know, that's cool, but clearly he can't let that particular nugget of information out, and this kid's blackmailing him, so... From the sounds of it, Jesse is kind of a tearaway. He commits petty crimes in a kind of a... I don't know if it's for attention. Yes. Yeah. He definitely feels like his father is collecting every bad thing he's ever done for his, you know, court case. He is clearly riven with anxiety regarding his parents' imminent separation. And uh, he he wants to go away with Gus and be a cat burglar and live the life of the wild rogue sleeping in hedges. And Gus is like, okay, kid, I'm going to have to clue you in on some realities here. Mm. I usually end up in Jamaica with this friend of mine, Jimmy Marlowe. He steals appliances off of trucks. We get the money back from the fence, which is usually about half what the stuff's really worth. Spend all the money, come home, start all over again. Of course, this time supposed to be the big final score, you know, the big retirement score. Why are you quitting now? You got a great life. Let me explain something to you, kid. What I do, running around, stealing shit, that may sound great when you're 15 years old, but it sucks just a little bit when you're 35. No family, no house. I got a partner who's 56 years old. He's an alcoholic. He still can't figure out why they took happy days off the air. And then I got to turn on TV every day and see kids like you, one after the other on these talk shows. You got everything. You got opportunities up the ass. You got a family to come home to. And what do you do? You sit around and you bitch and you moan because things don't go your way. Well, you know what, kid? Welcome to the real world where most of the time things don't go your fucking way. Easy for you to say. Everything goes your way. You know what? I think I had you pegged wrong. I don't think you have a brain in your fucking head. Merry Christmas. It's actually quite a a, a, a new a measured performance from um, 
Robert J. Steinmiller Jr. It feels like he's actually a significant piece, but doesn't really get to talk too much. He's it represents the fallout of this particular marriage because they can get divorced, they can go their separate ways, but Jesse's going to be left twisting in the wind, and he's already really unbalanced. So, them finding some accord at the end and actually having torn all of this out of each other over the uh, course of the evening when Gus then goes running off with Jesse, leading the way to uh, a boat where his partner's found an ex-con by the docks who can take them to Greenland. But, you know, Jesse's just accompanying him. He now feels a little bit more uh, on top of the situation. You know, clearly with his blackmailing scam is maybe more capable of um, coping with life and difficult people than either of his parents. Mm. Although he's probably also going to end up in jail at some point. He is, like his father, he is massively avoidant. When he comes home from school, he's supposed to get the train and then his parents are going to meet him at the train station. But because he has all this extra money, he hires a limo. And then when he arrives home, he gives the limo driver an extra 50 to keep driving him around the block because he, he wants to use up as much of the evening as he can so he doesn't have to spend it in the company of his parents. He is not confrontational. He is not somebody who can bring this stuff to the surface. And that's what makes me think that a lot of his bad behaviour is not exactly attention grabbing, but a way of saying, look, something is wrong here. Will you help me deal with it? Hmm. Unfortunately, this film uh, opened opposite Guarding Tess, which everyone's forgotten, Lightning Jack. That was a Paul Hogan comedy. And Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Yikes. Yikes. Nothing's gonna stop Jim Carrey in the year of Jim Carrey. It's 1994. Mm. So, actually, this came out, uh, yeah. Whoa. It appears this was released in March. (laughs) You fucking stupid assholes. Are you kidding me? What? That might just be the British release date, but I don't actually think it was released over here. Yeah. This was launched on the 9th of March, 1994. I do not understand. I don't understand, folks. I don't understand. Why would you put out a Christmas movie, an obvious Christmas movie set at Christmas, all about Christmas, with a drunk, angry Santa Claus in it? In March. Why would you do that? The only reason to do that is because you're sent- you don't want money. You, you want it to fail because any sensible person in the studios of Touchstone Pictures, the adult brand of Disney, would go, okay, so the movie's done, uh, but not in time for Christmas. We'll tell you what, we'll wait until, oh, I don't know, early December 1994. And then people who are maybe not so happy with Christmas every year will come and see this. And even though it's vulgar and aggressive they'll maybe get some kind of emotional catharsis out of it. But no, stick it out in March to die. It's not even on Disney+, Plus, by the way. We rented this from Amazon. The HD is okay. I don't think uh, the DVD is, is easy to get hold of in the UK. You can get the R1 DVD. You can rent it from... Yeah, in America, you can rent it uh, on Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, Vudu, Microsoft Direct TV and Spectrum On Demand. For some perspective, Dennis Leary had kind of made a name for himself, a minor name, in the uh, early to mid-90s, as kind of an MTV-style personality who would show up and say everything really, really, really quickfire. And he kind of ranted and raved and expressed irritation with 
the way modern society was going. It seemed to be very much about the pussification of society, while what he wanted was black coffee, red meat, and cigarettes. All three of which are still readily available some 30 years on. But when you're a Gen X teenager and there's this guy ranting about stuff that, if you remember, the internet was not around really, and no one was saying boo to, this guy seemed really cool. So this was the teaser trailer, the alternate version of what you heard earlier. All kind of bells, sweets and the bells all seem to say throw cans Dear Santa, the last time I wrote to you I was eight years old. That was more than 25 years ago. I know it's been a long time, but you're my last hope. I just don't know who else to turn to. You see, this year for Christmas, I want the same things I've always wanted. Peace on Earth, goodwill towards men, and a jet. A big, fat, silver, giant, jumbo 747 jet. Shut up! I'm talking here! According to my records, I requested the same items on the afternoon of December 1st, 1965. Guess what? They never came. What I get instead? Vietnam, the Brady Bunch, and John Denver. Thanks! I'm 35 years old. You know what I got for Christmas last year? Socks. I hate socks. White socks, blue socks, sweat socks, tube socks, tube socks. What the? I won't even wear socks. I'd rather cut the fingers off some gloves and stick those on my feet. You got a pen, Santa? Because I'm updating my list, okay, pal? I want bikes and booze and baseball cards. Cash, cabbage, money, moolah. I want toys and trucks and some assembly required. I want the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. I want the 17th snack green glow in the dark frizz. I want a couch, a chocolate couch, a big brown couch made completely out of chocolate so I can lay down, put my feet up, and start snacking. No Burl Ives, no Bing Crosby, no Herbie the Dentist, no Cindy Lou Who, no Sister Act 2, no Wayne's World 2, no Free Musketeers. Free Musketeers? I hate the Free Musketeers. I want it all, and I want it delivered to my house on the evening of December 24th, 1993. And if it's not there by midnight, I'm taking a hostage. I don't know how well this will necessarily have held up. I feel like for some people watching it right now will be actually quite enjoyable, actually quite engaging, maybe uh, a little bit emotionally... Therapeutic. Therapeutic, though tumultuous. It's prob- it, you know, if your parents argued when you were younger, or if you have argued with your uh, other half, especially over the holidays, it might dredge up some feelings. But the message by the end is that communication is healthy is that it's actually better to go your separate ways having cleared everything up rather than just keep resenting each other and like it's clear it's clearly coming at it from the perspective of sniping at each other is just hurting it's not solving anything at all it may be amusing but you are just standing in place taking pot shots at at the person you're supposed to care about and who you clearly do care about or it wouldn't hurt you as much you both borrowed money to open that ridiculous restaurant which i told you both would never work well it might have worked if you could have taken your tentacles off of him caroline stop it if you remember caroline My husband had just died. I was all alone, and I had to have surgery. Plastic surgery. It was necessary. It was nothing more than needing to keep your son's attention on you. Manipulating him to open that store to pay you back the money that you... I gave him a real job. I let you use my home out of the goodness of my heart. You're charging us rent, Rose. What kind of therapy is this? Come on now, this is getting a little ugly here. Yeah, we walk around on tiptoes, you know, because mother might get upset or mother might get angry. And why, let's be honest, she has money. 
and she holds it over all of us like a death I'm sentence. I'm happy to give my children everything. That's the problem. One son who can't say boo to his wife, and the other one, the other one, he just gives up. One bad review in one lousy magazine, you just give up. Now, just a minute. Stop right there. In the first place, it wasn't one bad review in one lousy magazine. It was the restaurant guidebook of oh, New York. God. And when the restaurant guidebook recommends you to Hindus looking for a fun night out of fasting, what did you expect me to do? Change the menu? You close the restaurant. No, you close the restaurant. Other people try again. But you see, everything always came so damn easy for you. But the first time that you tried something that was really important to you, to us, and it didn't work out, what did you do? You ran home to mom. And then you build this wall around yourself, shutting me out, shutting Jesse out with your cynicism and your derision. And you call that being responsible. Well, I can't live like this. I don't care if I wind up a truck stop waitress with platinum hair and pineapple earrings. At least I'd be alive. you would better than living with a corpse. Before you uh, get on with your career in the service industry, Let's set the record straight. Because I don't want you leaving with any misunderstandings. Maybe you're right. Maybe I was afraid. Maybe I can't take failure. That's probably true. And maybe it's because the decision was all up to me. It was always all up to me. You were so afraid of being wrong, you never made a choice. At least you made it look that way. What does that mean? If you recall, my first response to my mother's offer to live here was absolutely not. Lie. Absolutely not. You think about it. We were sitting in our bedroom on, on 78th Street. We were smoking a joint and listening to Al Green, and I said absolutely not. I'm sorry, but I have had enough. I have never heard of such a Christmas. Sex and drugs and, and, and women being set on fire. I'm taking my Honey, children that's upstairs it. with me. Sit down no. and shut up, okay? Sit down and shut up. Come on, kids. We're going upstairs. Gary? I think this is more important. Well, I think this is sick. Connie, honey, right now, nobody really cares what Gary, you think. Gary, you have not defended me yeah. once this entire so evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sit down If you don't mind, the corpse still has the floor. I told you what moving here could mean, but you were the one who said we should consider it. Not the actual moving, just the considering. The actual moving in part was left to me. Why? Because you didn't know what to do. You were confused. You didn't know what was the right thing. But you were sure as hell sick and tired of living in a one-bedroom apartment in New York City. So don't hand me that it was the best of times bullshit. You didn't want to work anymore, and you didn't want any help with the baby because you wanted to do it all by yourself. And you hated New York because we weren't as rich as your college friends were to enjoy it. We couldn't afford a bigger place. And you were miserable being around people who could. And we were up to our ears in debt. But moving here was my decision. Right. And the loan was the same situation. What situa difference does any of this make now? You're getting a divorce. Mother. What? 
Is it possible for you to shut the fuck up for 10 seconds? Lloyd, don't talk to me like that in my own house. You know what, Mom? You know what I'm going to get you next Christmas? A big wooden cross. So every time you feel unappreciated for all your sacrifices, you can climb on up and nail yourself to it. This weekend, we have a after-school special on one of Sharon's favourite Christmas movies when she was a kid, Santa Claus the Movie. I was bewildered. <laughs> How do you think he got that bod? There are a lot of montages in this, but we'll come to those. So the elves take <laughs> them through Sharon the is somewhat underselling quite how much most of the film is a series of montages of montages. This has more montages, more montages than Rocky IV. <laughs> and they, Burgess Meredith. Although Burgess Meredith is dead by the time Rocky IV but comes out. But he is out. in the montages. But he is in the montages. <laughs> You're totally right. He's a wrecking ball. So they... And that will be on Patreon this coming Saturday for our bonus feed supporters at the $5 level and up. But back to the ref. Uh, notably also, this this was directed by Ted Demi, the nephew of Jonathan Demi, director of uh, Silence of the Lambs. He also directed uh, Dennis Leary's No Cure for Cancer uh, live stand-up show. So I think this was, this was supposed to be a Dennis Leary vehicle. Like, he's front and centre on the uh, uh, poster. They didn't realise at this point in March 94 that Kevin Spacey was going to be a huge actor. Mm. And notably, this one's weird, it was uh, co-written by Marie Weiss, who uh, hasn't got a Wikipedia page, and Richard Lagrevenaise, whose next screenwriting project is Disenchanted, the sequel to Enchanted. The uh, Amy Adams is a literal Disney princess movie, which I believe is now available on Disney+. Plus. <sighs> so should the ref be. It is bonkers that this is not available on Disney+, Plus, and I don't know why it's not. Everything else from Touchstone Pictures is. My uh, assumption is just they don't want to bring on a Kevin Spacey film if they don't have to. <sighs> Understandable, entirely. Eventually, the whole farce breaks down as Lloyd and Caroline are left unsure of what to say to one another, and Gus enlists the aid of the two kids, not counting Jesse, who's tied up in the bedroom, to secure both their parents and their rotten grandmother as the police come sniffing around the door. It's notable here that Grandmother Rose has lost every ally as it's been revealed how much everyone hates her, and yet rather than crumbling, she gets even harder. If she'd crumbled, it would have been possible to have pity on her. But there's almost kind of a grudging respect you have for someone made of iron. But it is quite possible to hate someone you respect. I knew you weren't a doctor. I knew it. You'll never get away, you know. You'll either be captured or killed. One less worthless man around, one less burden to society. Fucking believable. I've survived worse than you. World wars, old age, marriage, and weak men like you. Men who don't have the guts to survive in the real world. Men who are just scared little boys, intimidating everyone with their aggressiveness because they're afraid the world will find out how small their penises are. You know, lady, I'd like to tie you to the back of a fucking truck. You don't have the balls. No, no, it's not worth it. What? Uh, 
I know. I know. Mary, gag your grandma. What the fuck is wrong with you? I thought moms are supposed to be nice and, and sweet and, and, and patient. I know loan sharks that are more forgiven than you. Your husband ain't dead, lady. He's hiding. As we reach the end of the year, we want to give a special major thank you to our top tier Patreon sponsors. Thank you for sticking with us through the good times and the bad. So that's Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, Dave Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skills Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. If you're on our Patreon, you can listen to our after-school club on Blackadder's Christmas Carol. If you've never heard of Blackadder, this is Rowan Atkinson when he wasn't being Mr. Bean in what we consider to be his absolutely best role as the long-suffering, sharp-tongued, multiple generations of Edmund Blackadder. What do you use of the foul mammy guns? Scattered to the nine vectors, my lord. And the sheep squeezers of Splaticon 5? <laughs> Have they been suck-creamed as a crown beast nubble? Well, they're dead, if that's what you mean. But, Commander, did you vanquish the nibble pibblies? No, my lord Pigmot, I did not vanquish the nibble pibblies because you just made them up. <laughs> So let's get this straight. If I was bad, my descendants would rule the entire universe. Maybe, maybe. But would you be happy? Being ruler of the universe isn't all it's cracked up to be. There's the long hours having to weave at people the whole time. You're no longer your own boss. And if you love a Christmas carol like we do, you definitely won't want to miss out on what's on the New Century Multiverse podcast feed this December. My magical Christmas heist adaptation of the Charles Dickens classic, The Christmas Thieves. Is that honestly the best he could do? The nag snorted angrily. After all that work we put in. We? The moral support and intellectual stimulation I provided literally cannot be charted for its long-term ramifications. On balance, he was unable to reconcile things in a deeply satisfying way in our timeline. Ah, in this timeline? No. Oh, come on. No. Oh, come on. No. They all want you to. Are you suggesting I search the threads of possibility to reveal from dimensions the breadth of a shadow away some kind of brightest timeline where Baltus was genuinely a changed man? I'm suggesting that if you're going to spout Dickensian fanfic, it would at least honor the spirit of the source. Robert Zemeckis did it, Bill Murray did it, Patrick Stewart did it, even that episode of Quantum Leap did it, and I will not be upstaged by a Muppet. No, we could never beat the Muppets, dear boy. We don't have to beat them, we just have to stand alongside them. 
You are a rather wise horse sometimes. All the time. This would be an eleventh world. What should we call it? I don't want to get attached. Will we not see it again? We may. But for now, in honor of Mr. Dickens, and all who have retold this wonderful tale before us, here is the best of possible endings. So how shall we end this one? What music shall we play? We could have Nat King Cole's And so I offer you this The, 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 Christmas, the Christmas song Merry Christmas to you One of my absolute favourites Christmas songs Gary loves Nat King Cole She knows me so well <laughs> Yeah, That's actually worth noting There is a sweetness between Gary and Connie Occasionally mm. That illustrates that They've actually found their equilibrium He's henpecked but he kind of knows where he needs to be, and she never really gets at him. She gets at the kids far more. But, um, like, for example, when Lloyd is rude to her, she asks Gary to defend her rather than saying, shut up to him if he starts to butt in. Mm. So, weirdly, it establishes that this bitchy family are still kind of doing better than the family that jibe at each other all the mm. time. Yeah. Well, they're not, they're not really avoiding it. I mean, they, they cover up any resentment that they have for Rose. And it seems apparent that Connie, at least, is doing this because the woman's got money and they're expecting to be yeah. left some of it. I mean, let's face it. They're waiting for her to die and uh, so that they can be rid of her but also be able to enjoy all of this money. But she's got the old lady thing going on. We haven't really talked about Glitness Johns. She's... Like, she's something else in this film. Like, it would be really quite easy just to have this old... old lady who's just horrible. But there's something weirdly, like, insurmountably strong and beastly about her. Like, she's... And she looks very sweet to mm. begin with until she starts yeah. talking. I mean, she's... Like, in uh, While You Were Sleeping, she's a lovely little old lady. Glynis Johns was a treasure. Make that is a treasure. She's 98 years old, but as of this recording, still alive. What's that? Caroline? It's an orange marzipan cake with creme de menthe and lime zest. Uh, sounds too sweet. And don't eat it. But here she's just got this death force. And uh, yeah, she, she makes this great nemesis in the movie where it's like uh, Lloyd, all of his problems stem from this person, but specifically his own sense of weakness and failure as a, as a response to her when he could and should have stood up to her way earlier in his life and set out to craft his own existence. Yeah. And Caroline's right about that. And for Caroline, she's this fucking millstone around her neck that just will not fuck off and die. It's kind of sad. They can't win her over. They can't change her mind. They can't get her to see the harm she's done. She's stuck in her ways. And most of us, when we have to deal with aging elderly relatives who are bitter and angry and won't leave things alone. That's the reality we have to accept. But there's a weird kind of inspiration about the fact that she's 
so proud and haughty and able to just sort of keep existing despite all biology. One of Sharon's grandmothers was like that. She was like, I'm at death's door. She was on the operating table. They somehow managed to keep her going. And she kept going for years and years and years, bedridden and grumpy the whole time. But yeah, the Grim Reaper must have a tough time because women don't die, they go on. Men just go 65, ooh, boom. Come on, where's your stamina? Ah, bum, 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 I am a grand, I live forever. The Grim Reaper there, I could not get the women, they would not come. I got the men, the men are all lined up. But yes, thank you, we're ready for bed. Can we get pajamas, please? No pajamas in the land of the dead. I was told pajamas in the brush. I don't think. Yes, pajamas. No, and then pajamas. Shit, like the last word on her is that she's chewing through her gag mm. because, like, even tying her up and threatening her with a gun one will not her, achieve it. One of the lines that I love the most of hers actually is when she's talking about that she's talking about marriage generally. And then she refers to the fact that her marriage was arranged because her family wanted to join farms with a family in the next town. So they got her and the boy of that family to get married. What was your farm raising? Pigs! But that whole thing just makes me feel like she's been around since the 1700s oh, and yeah. isn't dead yet. She's got the grand, great, grand, great, great, grand thing going on. She's started and finished several families. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah... We'll end on Nat King Cole, conversely, because this film is so prickly. But there is a sweetness beneath its surface. There is a longing for a sense of gentleness. It's like... It's what Geraldine Chaplin says about ghosts uh, in The Orphanage, about that they are like a pinch that's longing to be soothed. That's what Lloyd and Caroline are. So do you think we should go untie everybody? No. We should unwrap them in the morning. It'll be more festive. <laughs> so what about Jesse? Well, Siskel said if we give him back the pictures, he won't press charges. No, no, I, um... I mean, about us, what do we tell him about us? Sorry, but Grandma's eating through her gag. You know something? You are a piece of work, pal. I tell you to get a boat, this is what you get. Get out of the fucking way. Uh, Gussie? What? When are we gonna open presents? Presents? Is that what you said? Presents? I'll tell you what, as soon as we get back, we're gonna open the presents. Back back, I'll tell you, I'll save you the trouble. Your present is a giant fucking cannon, okay? And when we get back, you're gonna crawl into it, okay? I'm gonna put two pounds of gunpowder in there, I'm gonna light it up, and I'm gonna shoot you right out of fucking Jersey, okay? And then I'm gonna steal a car and drive to Jersey and pick up all the little fucking pieces of your body, put them in a big plastic bag, bring them back to my house, put them in the fireplace, light them on fire, I'm gonna sit down with a glass of whiskey and watch the Charlie Brown special with your ashes hitting my fucking house! Oh! Yes? What? What's that smell? Shut up. And on that bombshell, we'll see you next week for Titanic. 
I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's School's Out. Out. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows A turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly And so I'm offering this simple phrase Kids from one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas to you From one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas To you So let me ask you this Is it impossible to get a cup of coffee, flavored coffee, anymore in this country? What happened with coffee? Did I miss a fucking meeting with the coffee? Huh? You can get every other flavor except coffee-flavored coffee. They got mochaccino, they got chococino, frappuccino, cappuccino, rappuccino, alpuccino. What the fuck? www.whatthefuck.com. I walked into a Starbucks about a year ago, a little kid behind the counter. I go, yeah, give me a regular. Regular what? Coffee. What flavor? Coffee flavored. Coffee. 
I'll stick that menu right up your ass, kid. Menu? Coffee doesn't need a menu. It needs a cup. That's all it needs. Maybe a saucer underneath the cup. That's it. You been in Dunkin' Donuts lately? The last bastion of coffee, flavored coffee? It's gone. Forget about it. You walk in there now, there's people wearing berets. They're writing poetry on computers. There's a kid behind the counter, would you like a coffee colada? Fuck no. www.blowme.com. Coffee colada. The hell's that about? Man, when I was a kid, Dunkin' Donuts had two things, coffee and donuts, and that was it. You took the donut, you dunked it in the coffee, thus the fucking title of the place. Dunkin' Donuts! So all they had, donuts and coffee, nothing else. They had no ice, no napkins, no soda, no salt, no pepper, no pate, no croissant, nothing! Walk in there now, there's soup flying around. People are eating finger sandwiches. Look at the donuts on display in a case, like relics from a former era, you know? Here's what we used to serve. We used to fry them up and sell them by the dozen, back in the 70s. God almighty. And you can't smoke in any of these coffee places. Can't smoke at Starbucks, can't smoke in Joe Bar, can't smoke at Dunkin' Donuts. I'm pretty sure that coffee was invented by guys who were sitting around smoking anyways. Right? I just wanted to drink something that would let them stay up late and smoke fucking more. That's my theory. Just ask me or Columbo. He'll back me up on this one. I actually gave the coffee up for a while. They reached that point with me. I said, you know what? I'm not going to have a heart attack in front of some 18-year-old haiku-writing motherfucker in a Starbucks, okay? It's just not going to happen. That was just my luck. He just came in here and he was yelling at me about coffee-flavored coffee, whatever the hell that is. And then he called me a haiku-writing motherfucker. I'm glad he's dead. I really am. So I gave it up. I would, in the morning, I would suck down two Cokes back to back to get that caffeine jolt, right? So about a year ago, and I'm working in Long Island making a movie, I'm driving around in my truck and I see a 7-Eleven at a dawn's. I'm like, of course, 7-Eleven. I can get a cup of coffee-flavored coffee in 7-Eleven. What could be more basic than a 7-goddamn-11? <laughs> I walk in there, sure enough, two big aluminum metal containers, like the old days, right? One's labeled decaf, the other one has no label. What would you think? <laughs> I think you would think what I do. I pour myself a nice cup of coffee, I get up to the counter, there to pay for it, behind the counter, another 18-year-old kid, okay? Head shaved, all right? Both ears, pierced, okay? Both nostrils, pierced. Both eyebrows, fucking pierced. <laughs> Tattoos coming out of the sleeves on both arms. He's got baggy pants on, okay? They started his knees, and this is all underwear right here, okay? Here's the pants, and here's the underwear. It's 27 inches of underwear. What the fuck is that about, okay? Explain it to me. That's one of the most basic rules that we all know about. The underwear goes inside the pants. Not here, not here, not here, inside the pants. That's why it's called under fucking wear. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, it's, I, I'm standing to look at him. Now he, he starts to talk to me, this is how he talks to me. Yo man, what's up? What's up man? And he's white. He's waving gang signs at me, what's up man? And he's fucking white. He's talking to me like he's a card carrying member of the Wu-Tang Clan. You know what, you're not in the Wu-Tang Clan, okay? You're not even in a tribe called Quest, asshole. You're in a 7-Eleven, you're 18 years old, you don't know shit about shit, and pull up your pants. 
then the, his tongue's hanging out. You know why his tongue is hanging out? Okay, because there's a five pound steel stud embedded in the middle of it. That's why. What the fuck is that about? When I was a teenager, I wouldn't get a steel thing put in the middle of my tongue. That's one more thing for your dad to grab a hold of when he's pissed off at you. Come here. How do you wake up one morning and go, you know what I'm gonna do today? I'm gonna get a piece of steel shot right through the middle of my tongue. Yeah, I'm gonna pay a big, fat, hairy, sweaty, tattooed guy to do it to me too. Then I'll get a piece of steel shot through my cock. Yeah, that'll be fun, yeah. Then I'm gonna get a metal rod that sticks out of my ass, makes my underwear stick out even further. Then I'm gonna get a keychain attached to my balls. I always know where my keys and my balls are. So I'm standing there with my coffee, trying to pay for my coffee. He's looking at me. Take my coffee and I leave. I get in the truck. I'm driving. Hoping my kids don't turn out like that. All of a sudden, I smell maple syrup in my truck. I'm like, you gotta, did the kids spill maple syrup in here? And Realize it's coming from my coffee. Somebody spilt maple syrup in my coffee. I go back to the seven goddamn eleven. I walk in, put the thing on the counter. Yo, 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 yo. Come here. Come over here. Somebody spilt maple syrup in my coffee. Uh, uh, no, no, that favor of the month, man. That's the maple nut crunch. Maple nut crunch. Okay. Maple nut fucking crunch. Are you gonna tell me? That Juan Valdez is down in Bogota right now, fielding a field full of maple nuts. I don't fucking think so. As a matter of fact, I bet my left maple nut that he's not. Pull up your pants. My mom used to tell me when I was growing up, Dennis, why don't you wake up and smell the coffee? You know what, Mari did it. Smell like fucking waffles, okay? Let's just throw all the breakfast stuff into my coffee. Put an egg in there, eggachino, let's go, come on. How about some cocoa puffs, puffachino, yeah. God damn it. Oh, by the way, to my sister, thank you so, so much for my Christmas present from you, which is a whole boatload of coffee syrup. <laughs>